0: Praise God, brothers and sisters. Uh, Very happy to be in the house of the Lord today here at the youth service. Uh, I thank God for every single one of you that came here. I know uh, I'm sure all of these seats, uh, we fill them up in faith. We like to put out extra seats sometimes, and sometimes we'll be like, brother, I don't know if we could fill all those up, and then to my surprise, the seat's will be filled up. And so I'm just going to take it in faith that a lot of these seats are going to be filled up as the service begins. People may be late. People have work. People have schooling. People have family things they need to do. I need to drop off my nephew before I came here, for example. So we understand and we're patient. And we believe that these seats will be filled up. Before we begin the service, I just wanted to very quickly read through the Word of God. And this is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. I'm going to be reading a Nice, sizable portion. We'll quickly go through it, and then we will pray. So this is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, starting at verse 13. And I'll be reading from the NASB. Someone in the crowd said to him, being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me, But he said to him, "'Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you?' Then he said to them, "'Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions.' And he told them a parable, saying, "'The land of a rich man was very productive.' And he began reasoning to himself, saying, "'What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops?' And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even very little, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek but your father knows that you need these things but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you there's this man who in his church who was very good at uh, making these comics he would make these comics and he would have these comics related to a scripture verse it would be a passage of scripture and then it would be a little comic depicting a story about that scripture and he would make these for his church bulletin and at first you know you're kind of starting out you're just kind of calibrating or figuring out you know is this successful is this not but he was faithfully doing this and as time passed people really liked his comics and if you actually go on his website you can find a whole archive of them throughout the years as he made them and one of the things I really enjoyed from these comics there was one that stuck out to me I remember seeing it a long time ago and I still have it on my phone and the verse was really similar to this one and so there's a comic of a man and he's leaned over his table he's hunched over on the table and he's got his he has his forehead in his hands and he's just stressed out and he's got these papers crumpled up in front of him and he's got these little thoughts sticking out and it says stress debts worries anxieties death illness And in the corner in the back of the comic, there's his windowsill. And on that windowsill, there's these little birds, right? And the little birds have their own thoughts coming out. And the birds are saying, I wonder what's eating him up. I guess God does not take care of him like he does us. And here the scripture tells us that not only does God take care of the little birds, the crows, the ravens, but in fact... We are more valuable than they, and if God is so faithful to these birds, how much more so will he be faithful to us? Brothers and sisters, very often, and this is not me speaking from the scriptures anymore, and this is me speaking from my own experience, when I get consumed with my own worries, my own anxieties, my own doubts, my own insecurities, and I start worrying about the future, I usually start doing what this evil man did. I start saying, Lord... It's been a very productive year, and I probably need to big, build a bigger barn because next year I need to make some room, some space for these blessings. And very often it's when I get stressed out and nervous about the future, and I think God really doesn't care about me, and I need to start doing something that I start acting like this evil man. And I take my eyes off of God, and I start worrying about how I can take care of of myself. And I know as we're in this place and we've come here with our own doubts, our own anxieties, our own stresses, uh, all of us have our own family problems, we have our own financial problems, all of us are trying to make it, make it well, be productive in our work fields, in our offices, wherever it is that we work, in our own businesses, in construction, we want to be productive and we just need to be so, so careful that we do not forget to be rich toward our God, brothers and sisters, that we do not forget to serve our God with a clean conscience, that we don't forget to seek his face first, to seek his kingdom first, and the promises, all of these things that our Father knows we need, he will give to us freely. When I am willing to say, Lord, I trust you, God, I will seek your face instead, very often it's almost all of that effort, all of that extra work, and some of you might relate to this, we put in so much effort for our own plans, they fail. We trust God, and God just lets all the doors and all the gates of heaven open for us when we finally trust him. When we finally stop trying to make our barns bigger and we say, God, I'll be rich with you first, very often it's then that God will open the doors and give us the things that we need. And so before we begin service and before the worship team comes up, let's all stand and let's pray for this service. Good evening. It just so happened that um,
1: our weekly Bible reading is on 2nd Timothy and I'm going to be preaching on 2nd Timothy. So before I um, actually read 2nd Timothy, I want to do an intro to my sermon because it ties in perfectly with, with the Bible reading. My uh, sermon title is, you could say it's called Cleanse Yourself from These Things. In other words, how to become a vessel, a useful vessel. So we'll be reading 2nd Timothy chapter 2. And we'll be focusing on verse 21. And then I'll be reading a few verses afterwards and a few verses before to get, um, to draw some points out of the scripture. And then we're going to talk about those points and how they apply to us. So Second Timothy chapter 2. I'll be reading from the NASB version because that is the version we have been studying these past weeks. Second Timothy chapter 2. You therefore, my son be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of christ jesus no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier also if anyone competes as an athlete he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory." It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You may be seated. So looking back at verse 21, that is the key verse we're going to be studying it reads as follows, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. Now, what does it mean by these things? If you look forward in the Scripture, verses 22 through 24, he says, Flee from youthful lusts, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, do not be quarrelsome. But I believe Paul is talking about, when he says these things, I believe he's talking about things he's already mentioned. And for that, we look back, starting uh, at verse 11. It says, It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. There's number one, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter. There's number two, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene among whom are Hymenes and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And there's number three. So looking back, we have three things that Paul mentions here. Verse 14, it says not to wrangle about words. Verse 16 says avoid worldly and empty chatter. And verse 19 says abstain from wickedness. So we'll look at these three things and how, and why Paul says to cleanse himself from these things to be a vessel for honor. So we'll look at number one, not to wrangle about words. He says, remind them, um, solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. What does wrangle about words mean? I believe it means to be nitpicky nitpick at a word to change its original meaning to something that it doesn't mean or never meant. And and, and thus, you change actually the whole verse or whole sentence to something it was never meant to mean. And that's a disservice to the hearers. And it shows that you have a lack of integrity. And it's actually, uh, in other words, it's like you're looking for a loophole to justify sinful behavior. And I'll give a few examples of this. We had a guy here Vova, a few weeks back, he was talking about a hot topic issue, right? Homosexuality, right? He was talking about how people seek to justify justify this behavior using biblical texts. And how they do that is they take the Greek word for homosexuality, and they argue, and they say, oh, it doesn't actually mean what we think it means, it actually means this other thing. And... Volvo was here, and he was showing that they're actually wrong. You study the context, you study related passages, you find out it means what it means. So these people seek to justify sinful behavior by trying to create a loophole. They don't actually create a loophole, but they think they do. So the second example of wrangling about words is the Ninth Commandment. Who can tell me what the Ninth Commandment is? Does anybody know what the Ninth Commandment is? Number nine. That's number seven. Number nine says, you shall not bear false witness. So I've never actually heard somebody argue this, but I'll do it just for the sake of argument. Somebody can say that bearing false witness and lying is two separate things. They can say bearing false witness is like uh, Michael asking me, did you see Dennis take a cookie out of the cookie jar? And I didn't, and I say, yeah, I saw Dennis. Or if he says, do you see who did it? And I saw Dennis, and I say, no, I didn't see who did it. In both cases, I would be a false witness because I saw something and I say I didn't or I didn't see something and I say I saw it. But that's a little bit different from lying, isn't it? If somebody, a few years back, we had like a New Year's interview question video and they asked, have you ever ran a red light? Right? So if you say um, no, but you actually have, you're a liar, right? But you're not bearing false witness per se. Somebody could argue and say that The ninth commandment is actually talking about bearing false witness, not lying. But is it really? Could you actually argue that and say that God is okay with lying but not bearing false witness? If you study the context and related passages, you find out that the Bible says that God says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 6 says these six things does the Lord hate and the seventh is an abomination to him. Number one is lying lips. So, you see that God is not okay with lying. So, study the context and related passages. So, the second example is also an example of trying to create a loophole to justify sinful behavior. Third example is promising to do something, but then not doing it. When, like, um, if your mom comes in your room and says, Man, this is a mess, and you say, Yeah, I'll clean it. She comes back an hour, two hours later, still not clean. She's like, you said you were going to clean it. I never said when I was going to clean it. See, the way you structured your sentence, the way you said it, you created a loophole for yourself to get out of your responsibility, right? And you're actually, that actually shows a lack of integrity. You're actually um, not only dishonoring your parents, but you're almost vowing to do something and not doing it. What does scripture say about that? Um, we had Andre, I think it was a few weeks back, and he was talking about it's better not to swear than to swear and not fulfill it. Jesus says, you have heard is said of old, um, you shall not swear by heaven or you shall not swear by the earth. He says, I tell you, don't even swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be No. The reason he says that is because in the Old Testament it says, if you make a vow and you don't fulfill it, it's a sin to you. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 23, as well as Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So we see that as well as promising to do something and then not fulfilling it, or promising to do something with the intent of not fulfilling it, you're creating a loophole for yourself to justify sinful behavior. The fourth example is... Fourth and final example of wrangling about words is people asking questions about whether something is a sin or not. We have Q&A forums almost every year, and we almost always get questions like, is smoking marijuana a sin? The Bible never says anything about that. I think it's okay, right? The Bible never says anything about that. Is drinking alcohol a sin? The Bible says not to be drunk. It never says anything about drinking alcohol. I think it's okay, right? Bible never says anything about smoking. Is that okay? I think it's okay. What these people are doing is they're looking for a loophole. They're looking for a confirmation to justify sinful behavior. And in reality, what they're doing is they're trying to find a line between, they're trying to find a line between Christianity and unchristianity. And they're trying to walk as close to this line as possible. If they're Christians, they're trying to resemble they're trying to act like the world as much as possible and still retain the name of a Christian. Or if they're not Christians, they're trying to act like Christians while still living in the lusts of the flesh. What does the Bible say about that? The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity against God. In other words, friendship with the world is deep hatred against God. Now, not wrangling about words is to take something at its literal meaning. So it's to say something, or it's to say something and to literally mean it. I heard this quote from, this, um, from David Cooper. He's the founder of the Biblical Research Society. I heard it a while back. I had to write it down. I looked up the full quote. I'll read the full quote, and then I'll read the shortened quote because it's a little bit different. The full quote goes like this. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. What is he saying? He's saying, take, take it at face value. Unless it's a little bit weird and it doesn't make sense, then study it in context, study with other related passages, and it will make sense. The short Quote goes like this, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, or all you will be left with is nonsense. Now, the second thing that Paul tells Timothy to cleanse himself from is found in verse 16, worldly and empty chatter. And as we just read in the quote, or as we just heard, if you don't understand what something means, you look it up in the context and related passages. So we'll we'll look up worldly and empty chatter in related passages. It says the full verse verse sixteen is avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. So we turn to Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine. That's Ephesians chapter four verse twenty-nine. That's right after Galatians and right before Philippians. If you guys have trouble remembering what order they go in, you can remember an acronym. It goes General Electric Power Company. So that's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says this: Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Paul says, In other words, let no worldly and empty chatter proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. He's saying that corrupt communication or worldly and empty chatter is the opposite of edifying conversation. Worldly and empty chatter is conversation that does not edify. Conversations that do not edify the believer include, but are not limited to, conversations on politics, Sports, cars, latest trends, gossip. And you can literally write a list of a million things that don't edify a believer, or conversations that don't edify a believer. But what Paul is saying is don't involve yourself in conversations that don't edify you as a believer. And you say, Victor, well, slow down there. I don't go around asking what the latest gossip is, okay? People just come to me and tell me you know why the reason people can come and share gossip with you? It's because they, they believe that you're the kind of person that wants to hear it. And it's not a compliment that people want to use your ears as garbage cans. And that's really what it is, isn't it? Gossip and all, all sorts of unedifying speech is garbage. Paul describes it as empty chatter. Empty chatter is pointless meaningless conversations, conversations without substance. And Paul says, don't involve yourself in conversations like that. There's a phrase that says this, garbage in, garbage out. If you let people fill your ears with garbage, what's going to come out? Garbage. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what happens if you put garbage in your heart? Garbage is going to come out, right? I'll give you this visual example. If you have rotten, disgusting fruit and vegetables on your table, and you're like, what am I going to do with this? I know what I'm going to do with this. I'll take it and put it in a juicer. What's going to come out? Something delicious, right? No, it's going to be something nasty, disgusting, something putrid, something that will make you vomit if you drink it. What would you do if someone offered you a glass of this? or drink this. Um, no, thank you. You'd probably take and dump it straight in the trash, right, where it belongs. So, if it's not okay with us to consume physical garbage, why should it be okay with us to consume spiritual garbage? So, I'll give you a second example. You've all probably heard this example, but if you want to boil a frog alive, you don't throw a frog into boiling water. You put a frog into cold water, a pot of cold water. You take the pot of cold water, you put it on the stove, and you turn it up a few degrees at a time. Eventually, you get to the point where the water is boiling and the frog is there floating, boiled alive in the water. Why did this happen? Why didn't the frog jump out? Didn't he feel the water getting hot? Didn't he know the danger? No, that's the point. The frog didn't realize the danger. He didn't even realize it was too late because it was too late to realize that it was too late. So Paul says, avoid worldly and empty chatter for it will lead to further ungodliness. He's saying the conversation is going to get progressively worse. It's not going to end at empty chatter or pointless conversations it's going to get progressively, progressively worse. Filthy language, foul language, crude humor, nasty, disgusting references, stuff that pollutes your mind, stuff that once you make that connection, you can't undo that connection in your mind. Stuff that takes years to forget, years. So what Paul is saying is, Timothy, Timothy, end essential conversations. Be the frog that jumps out of the pot. Or, to end the conversation, you turn it into a spiritual conversation, one that edifies. If they're not interested, they will leave and end the conversation. And if they are interested, then you may minister grace to the hearers, as Ephesians 4.29 says. So the third thing that Paul tells Timothy to cleanse himself from is wickedness. Verse 19 says, abstain from wickedness. Everyone who calls upon the name, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. To abstain from wickedness, that seems obvious, right? But he's saying to abstain from all forms of wickedness. To be a man of integrity. I heard this example just recently about this Christian man that went to buy a car. Found a guy on Craigslist or wherever it was. Called him up. He's looking at the car, and the guy's like, you can rest assured, I do this for a living. You know, I fix and sell cars. You know, sold dozens of cars, never had a complaint. Never had a guy say that I sold him a lemon. So he's the guy's like, "Okay, I like it, I'll buy it. So they're filling out the paperwork, they're doing the bill of sale, and the guy's like, how much do you want me to put down that you bought it for? The guy looks at him and says, I want you to put down how much I paid for it. And the guy stops and he looks at him and says, you know, there's a pastor that lives up the road. You and him are the only two people that told me to put down how much you actually paid for it. Because the less, Michael knows this, the less you put down how much you paid for a car, the less you pay in taxes. The more you put down, the more you pay in taxes. So that actually speaks... Volumes to the unbeliever that people are actually honest in how much How much they put down how much they bought their car for It shows them that Christians are people of integrity so Paul is saying to Timothy 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 you were washed you were cleansed you were sanctified and purified Don't use the grace of God for an occasion of the flesh he says Timothy, Timothy, if you want to be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master prepared for every good work, you must abstain from wickedness. You must avoid pointless conversations, and you must be a man of integrity. You must keep yourself, guard your heart. James 1:27 says this. It's James 1:27. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In conclusion, we see that Paul tells Timothy that if he wants to be a useful vessel, he must, number one, be a man of integrity without compromise. Meaning, you say what you mean and you mean what you say, and you don't seek loopholes. Number two is to avoid pointless conversations because they are a trap and they lead to ungodliness like the frog in the water, right? Number three is to abstain from wickedness to keep your vessel pure, undefiled and unspotted from the world. This message is not only applicable to Timothy but it's applicable to each and every one of us. May God help us to be men and women of integrity without compromise. To avoid pointless conversations, conversations that do not edify. And to abstain from wickedness and hold our vessel in purity. So that we may become vessels for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good
0: work. Let us pray.
2: Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Praise God. Praise God. I gotta tell you, brothers and sisters, this is really cool stuff. Uh Man, I'm excited to even tell you about it. This is a little testimony of mine first, and then we'll get on with the the, the meat, the spiritual food that I try to prepare my very best through the grace of God as well as through the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Now um first and foremost let's pray i would like us to pray to uh give our anxieties to the lord give our worries to the lord uh, to thank the lord for the service that we have as well as have our hearts prepared for the spiritual food that we have set at our table today let's pray our heavenly father we glorify you we thank you and we praise you my lord that we have come here today in fellowship to read your word to think about your word, Father God, and to have the spiritual food that is before us, my Lord. May our hearts be open and may our eyes see, Lord, where this applies in our lives, my God. I thank you, my God, because you are majestic and you work in so many ways, my Lord, that we don't even think about, my God. I praise you, I glorify you, my God, and I pray that all of us are here today to, to, to bless you, Father God, to bless your name as well as you come and bless us, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Now, I think this is so cool and I verified to make sure this was true and correct. I asked Leanna and I'm going to put in an example as well as Victor and myself, did you talk with me or Victor about the songs that you chose today or with your group? Well, I'm sure you worked with your group. You didn't. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Now, Victor, did you talk with me or Leanna about your sermon? Anything about uh, any specific doctrines that you taught as well as some scripture? Did you or did you not? You did not work with any of us, and I did not work with any of them as well. And I thought it very amazing, praise the Lord, that all of us talked about vessels, that all of us talked about examining ourselves. We sung about being God being the potter, we are the clay. We sung about how we are going to praise the Lord day and night. Praise the Lord, that is so cool. I think God is amazing in that way. He works in ways we don't even think about, okay? We think we decide these things, but because the Holy Spirit is within us, the Holy Spirit guides all of it. That is so cool. That is so cool that God works in that way. And we get to examine it, we get to see it, and we get to proclaim it. Praise the Lord. God shows all of this that happened today, this evening. And God chose this service as well. God chose the sermon that I had prepared. I got to tell you, this was one of the coolest sermons that I had prepared ever. I have never experienced my sermon building as I have for this one. It took me weeks. I had huge epiphanies are huge moments of like wow god that is amazing let's talk about that and i'll have it prepared for you today please um but i'll ask you please focus please pay attention because this is strictly for you you and you and you ladies and gentlemen it is specifically for you and it is i decided to title it it is to examine yourself and we're going to examine ourselves in everything we're going to talk about a lot of things Uh, i tried to um be very in-depth. Um, usually when I preach, it takes me about, or I'm preaching for about 10 minutes, so I'm rushed. And you know us Russians, we like to rush through everything. And uh, it makes me talk fast, and I lose my track, and I don't know what I'm talking about sometimes. But I got a whole half hour, well, 25 if we're staying till 9, but I hope you forgive me if we go over 9 o'clock, please. So let's first and foremost, let's read or open up to First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. I'll give you guys about 30 seconds. I have the page written down on my Bible, so I'll be very quick. It is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Like Victor said, 1 Peter is before 2 Peter, if you guys didn't know. 1 Peter verse, or chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Praise the Lord. This specific uh, chunk of verses refers to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 specifically, but we'll go back to this chapter a little further in a a few minutes. Now, first question before we talk about anything. Just examine yourself. Examine where you are, who you are, where you are in life, work, school, family, your siblings. Um, For example, me, I'm married. Um, examine yourself. Think about that and just think. Just think. Where you are. Who you are. Your identity. And a lot of you can say that, well, we're Russians. That's pretty cool, huh? We are all Russians or Slavic at least. Well, Dave and I, we're all Slavic people. We're, we're all jumped and ju- jumped into this big, good old group to talk about. now. We Russians are really, really good at being snakes. I got to tell you, we are, we are the best, almost, I would say. And I'll tell you why I'm talking about this. We are very, very snaky people. I'll tell you why. We're really good at dressing. I got to tell you, our fashion is phenomenal. The us Slavic community, no, I got I to tell you guys, we are good at fashion. We got the Louis Vuittons, we got the Gucci's, we got the Adidas. You got the whole good old BMW cars and Lexus. And I mean, we're, we're decked out here in America. Praise the Lord, but that's also a curse on us as well, because we fall into temptation and pride and all this stuff. So let's think about that. And more specifically, I really like that Victor touched the topic about me working at a place that's all about taxes, and I'll tell you why. Because we as Russians are very, very snaky. We are really, really full, or let's say we're really dirty inside sometimes. So A lot of us are, you know, we're really nice and pretty, and nice and handsome, and nice and bulky sometimes, um, but inside we're, we're really dirty, we're really nasty, we're really, we're twisted in a lot of ways, and we do really bad things towards other people, and benefit of ourselves, and sometimes just for the fun of it, and that's a shame, that's a shame that that's the case, but we know the truth and not the truth, so we can learn from that and go on from that. Now, here's another topic, Russians and taxes, oh boy. Um, I work at the Department of Revenue, so I know all things tax for Washington State. I know how you guys, businesses specifically, uh, take go <laughs> not pay your taxes, how to stay away from taxes, how you collect taxes and don't give it to the state. Oh, man, I have these Russian old ladies who sometimes come into our office, and they're like, oh, Michael, you're a brother of the church. Now, how do I not pay these taxes that you just gave me? That big bill, oh, I don't want to pay it. How do you get me out of it? I say, sister, I am so sorry but I'm not gonna do the wrong thing. I I mean, I got 12 cameras behind me. I literally do, Um, but people don't wanna pay their taxes. We Russians are very, very slick with all this kind of stuff, and examine yourself. Do you fit in that category? I I know a lot of you don't have businesses, especially the ladies, oh, I mean, running a construction business, don't even think about it, Um, but us men, right? Men, construction, framing, siding, whatever. If you got a business and you don't pay your taxes, Oh, boy. I mean, not put aside the fact that if you get audited, you're going to get a good old bill from Michael Shokin. Well, not me, but someone else. Um, But Russians and taxes, we got to examine ourselves with that kind of thing. Do we pay our taxes? Victor said the example about the vehicle. If you sell a vehicle in Washington State, if you buy it from someone like a dealership, they're going to charge sales tax like they're supposed to. Car's $1,000. You pay $100 in sales tax. Sales tax goes to the state. Hoorah. Everyone's happy. But if I buy it from Joe Schmo or Dennis, if I buy the vehicle for 500 to $500, I gotta pay my tax on $500. But good old Russian philosophy here or idea, ideology where we don't wanna pay our taxes. Oh, you're a loser if you pay your taxes. I could say, hey Dennis, just write a little gift on there. Say, say it's a gift, I'll pay you on the table, you know, I'll give you the 500 cash, but just write a gift, I won't pay any taxes. We're helping both of ourselves out. Who wants to pay taxes anyways, right? Shame on us that we have that type of lifestyle. Integrity, Victor, integrity. We are lacking a lot of integrity. Examine yourself. Now, let's go to Leviticus chapter 11. I said we're going to go back to that. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 11, and it's going to be about verse 33 and 35. If you don't know where that is, it is in the Old Testament. It is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Pentateuch, which are the books of Moses, I believe. wrote Moses wrote those three, five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 33. 33, and we'll read to 35. And we'll talk about that. If one of them falls, and this is in regards to animals, lizards, uh, rats, snakes, really nasty critters, uh, critters that walk uh, walk along the ground. This is in regards to those animals, those nasty, unclean animals that God said, those are unclean. It's talking about that, 33. If one of them falls into a clay pot, everything in it will be unclean, and you must break the pot. Any food you are allowed to eat that has come into contact with water from any such pot is unclean. And any liquid that is drunk from such a pot is unclean. Anything that one of their carcasses falls on becomes unclean. An oven or cooking pot, it must be broken up. They are unclean and you are to regard them as unclean. Now, this is specifically talking about Critters, animals, diseases that come from them because they're nasty. They eat nasty things, and they are in nasty places. They are on dead animals as well. So they carry a lot of diseases. So why would you want to eat something that came from or touched in contact with one of those animals? God said, it's unclean. Don't. Just don't even try. Break the pot. Get a new one. It's unclean. No matter what you do. So we or let's talk about pots, vessels, jars, basins whatever you want to call them, they are mostly made out of clay because clay is malleable when it's not fired. It is um, not expensive. It's cheap because it's just clay and water or dry clay, and you mix it up and you make a pot or a vessel, And it's, but the characteristics, and I said this way long ago uh, in youth, actually, the characteristics or the structure of clay pots is it's very porous. What does porous mean? It means that these pots have a lot of microscopic holes inside the pot. Therefore, if something were to be in the pot, like water or diseases, because we're talking about diseases, or dead animals or nasty things like feces from these animals, those things will go into those pores. No matter what you do, you can't clean it out. Those pores are so small that boiling water in the pot, it won't get it out. Or scrubbing the pot, it won't get it out. Washing it out, it won't get it out. Whatever you do, that disease will not get out of the pot. See, God told us, or told the Israelites, just follow the commandment, because I said that is the commandment. Don't eat or drink from that pot. But if you actually look into the science of it, the reason why is because you can't clean, you can't clean it. It will bring you diseases, you will be very sick, you might potentially die, your children could die, your family members, your relatives, people who you love, And we sometimes love to be very smart and say, oh, God said this commandment, but, you know, Michael Shulkin here knows very much about taxes, and I can find myself a little loophole that, oh, I am paying my taxes, but not as much as I would like to, and I'm okay on both sides. No. We have to follow the commandments as God said them, as God meant them, and not interpret them in our own way, like Victor mentioned. We don't just change it how we want, but we have to follow it all the way through. Now, with these vessels and clay pots, you want to put food in them, you want to put water in them, everything gets tainted. All of it is diseased. One, because God said so, and two, if you look at the science behind it, it will be tainted. If you decide to drink water out of it, no matter how much you boil it, it will be unclean. You will be sick. You will be hurt, potentially die. No matter how much you scrub it, no matter what good you put in this pot, if the inside is unclean, therefore, the food will be unclean. It will come out unclean. It is no good. If you put good water in it, good water will not come out. It is no good. Good water is ruined. Good food is ruined. It is infected. It is gross. It is unusable. And it's, it's tainted. It's dangerous. It is dangerous to try to use that food and water that comes out of that vessel if the vessel is dirty. That just sums it up for you. We want to fix it. Like I said, we try to wash it out. We try to clean it. We try to boil it. None of it's going to work. None of it will work. The disease is still present, and it is tainted, and it is everywhere. And it will be everywhere if you keep that vessel there. Now examine yourself. Reel it back. And let's say, are, let's say you are that vessel. Let's say you are that clay pot. Especially us being uh, young people. None of us are above 40 years old or 60 years old. We humans are like these vessels. And especially young vessels. If we're especially born again, we're very fresh. You could say we were just made. The pores are really nice and just fresh, trying to soak up everything. And us as vessels are soaking up everything. Our lids are wide open, and we're letting almost everything come in. And if we let these lids stay open for too long, something very nasty can be put inside. Something very nasty that you probably don't notice, or that you actually liked, or you thought was a good idea. And in this vessel, it is now tainted. In God's perspective, it is tainted. In your perspective, it doesn't matter what you think. The vessel is tainted. You as a vessel are tainted. Are you listening? You as a vessel are tainted if something bad goes inside. Now ask the question, has it been there for a day? Has it been there for a week or a month? Maybe a few years. Has your vessel, you yourself, been tainted and you don't have, or you did not clean yourself out? How how long? Examine yourself. How long has it been that way? When was the last time you looked at yourself And you examined yourself. And you said, God, I don't know of any sins that I commit. God, show me where my sins are. The Holy Spirit, please open my eyes and my heart. Show me where my sins are. Show me this nasty thing that's inside of me that it can come out. But it doesn't just come out because it's still in us. We're still infected with it. What did God recommend? What was the remedy? If we look back to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 35, the end of it, it states, anything that, is one of their, anything that one of their carcasses falls on becomes unclean. An oven or cooking pot must be broken up. They are unclean and you are to regard them as unclean. I'm sorry, I didn't emphasize the right one. Anything... That one of their carcasses falls on becomes unclean. An oven or cooking pot must be broken up. It must be broken up entirely. Your vessel has to be entirely broken up, pounded to an ash and thrown away. It is of no good use. You are to never use it again or even touch it. You are to be made, you are to make a new vessel. You must make a new pot. You must make a new clay pot. That is to be used again for God's glory as a vessel, but clean. You are now clean. You are made new. You are made whole. People call this being born again. Now examine yourself. Are you born again? Before you came to youth today, did you just do the nastiest sin ever? Or after youth today, were you planning to do the nastiest sin ever in your life? Examine yourself. Examine yourself and think, are you red-faced and thinking, wow, he is talking about me. Well, I am talking about you. Are you born again or not? Examine yourself. Are you a clean pot or are you a dirty pot? If I put something good inside of you, will good come out of it? Because I can put all these seeds in you. God can water or God can let it grow. Or Dennis can water this seed. But can it grow? God is only going to let it grow if it is to be made new and whole again. And that is your part to do. You are to ask God, break me down, make me entirely new, and pour good water in me that good water may come out. May you pour the Holy Spirit inside of me that the Holy Spirit may outpour itself on others around me. Are you a clean vessel? Are you good? Examine yourself. It's a shame to say that some of us are blinded from our sin but in the same way even if we take out the majority of this nasty thing inside our pot what's left of it is the most crucial part of it the residue the illness the disease of this carcass that has been inside of your pot have you been taking care have you taken care of that through jesus christ Has God broken you down and made you entirely new again? Examine yourself. Think about it. Think about it because I'm sure a majority of you haven't even thought about this before. That you should not even think of whether or not you are serving the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. Or whether or not you're clean or born again. Are you? Are you born again? Now, it's important to continuously examine yourself. And it's not just through my questions, because the Bible has plenty of examples of how you can compare yourself. I can say, are you a clean pot? Do you have anything nasty inside of you? Well, what does that mean? How does that translate into your everyday life? I'm very sure that you're thinking, well, I don't think I'm a clay pot. I'm a human being that lives and works and cooks and goes to school and has brothers and sisters and sometimes gets snappy. But let's think about it a different way. Let's find the Bible's answer as to how we should examine ourselves. And we'll find that through Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Can you believe that? Just Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Let's look into it. Sure, most of you could recite this by heart, but did you think it in the way you recited it? Or are you going to think of it in the same way? So let's read it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. We'll stop there. Well, let's read uh, verse 5 as well. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now, here's a little test. Question for you. Are you delighting in the Lord? Let's stop the idea of examining yourself as you are a vessel. But are you delighting in the Lord? What does that even mean, delighting in the Lord? Let's think about it. Verse 1. Are you blessed? Because it says, blessed is the one. Would you say you are blessed? I'm pretty sure a lot of us would say that we are blessed. But in what way? Are we blessed materialistically? That was a big one. Or are we blessed spiritually? Are we blessed by God? Or are we blessed by the things that we have? Let's examine that thought. But we'll move on to, we'll get back to that idea. Are you blessed? Would you be blessed if you walked with the wicked? I don't think so. Would you be blessed if you stood with the wicked? If you sat amongst the wicked, like Victor said, if you talked with them, if you had godless chatter, if you had cruel jokes or nasty thoughts, if you watched nasty things with your friends at school or at work, if those are your activities in your day-to-day life, are you blessed? Are you spiritually blessed by God? Can God even bless you? Let's talk about verse 2. Blessed is the, the is in verse 2. Blessed is the, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? Does the law of the Lord delight you? Let's ask in a different way. When you look at the law of the Lord, do you say, wow, I am so happy that God is so just and that the law applies to my life and I am living a godly, righteous life where God is my Lord? Not anything else. Do I delight in the law of the Lord? Does the law bring me happiness or does it just chain me down as a big burden? Let's think about that. Examine yourself. Are you blessed? Because blessed people are the ones who delight in the law of the Lord. Blessed people, let's continue with verse 2. Blessed people are people who meditate day and night on the law. We sang about that, that Russian song. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. We sang about, I'm doing a very poor translation because my Russian is not up to par, but the Lord, we think of him, we praise him, we sing to him day and night. Is that right? Do you do that? Do you delight in the law of the Lord? Do you meditate on him day and night? Do you hear me, brothers? Do you hear me, sisters? Does your life say, yes, I delight in the law of the Lord? Yes, I meditate on him day and night. Yes, I think of him. Or is your tongue cruel? Are you nasty? Are you spiteful? Are you bitter? I said us Russians are snakes, and I really mean it because we look so good on the outside, and we can be so nice to people who we want to be nice to, but the moment we walk away, we are so nasty. We are so bitter. We are so hateful. Are we delighting in the law of the Lord at these moments? Are we practicing God's law when we're cheating on our taxes? Are we practicing our God's law when we're jealous of one another, when we're bitter towards one another, when we say hateful things behind our backs? Do you delight in the law of the Lord at that exact moment? If not, why not? If so, are you a clean vessel? Let's go back to that question. Have you been cleansed by the Lord? is your vessel still dirty or did law break it down or did the lord break it down blessed is the one who delights in the law of the lord and who meditates on it day and night can you claim that can you claim that blessing very rarely can someone claim that confidently without in the back of their minds being ashamed of themselves I'm ripping you guys apart, and I'm ripping myself apart because I had to think about all this stuff as well while I'm writing all this down as notes. I had to think of it for myself, and man, I'm a big hypocrite. I'm a big hypocrite, but it's good to imagine, to examine ourselves. It's good to see all this and think of it, in the reality of it is because we are, again, so good at being fake We are so good at looking the part, doing the part, worshiping the part, preaching the part. But when you go home, do you delight in the law of the Lord? Do you respect the Lord? Do you respect his commandments? Do you even respect your parents? Do you obey them? Do you do good things when no one else is watching? That is what matters. Not because we can sing well or I can preach well. It matters about what I do at home when no one else is watching. But the Lord is there and the Lord is present. And the Lord says, yes, you meditate on the law of the Lord. Welcome in my faithful servant. You are in the kingdom of God, and you are with me, and you will praise my name. Can you claim that? If you do these things, then you are blessed. And if you do these things, we're going to read on. It's in verse 3. If you do these things, then you are blessed for sure and you're confident. Then you were like a tree planted by the streams. Your soul is refreshed. You don't have any anxiety. You don't worry. What a good life to be a tree that's planted by good streams. You don't have to worry about anything. You're just strengthened day and night. Consistently, the river is flowing through you as a tree. If you are blessed, You are exactly like a tree that's planted by the streams. Praise the Lord. If you are blessed, if you do, verses 1 through 2, your fruits are yielding within season. You have productive, good, pure fruits that are present for everyone to see. If you are like this, if you are blessed, you will have fruits that yield within the season. If you are blessed and you do these things, your leaves do not wither. You do not shrivel up. You do not get weakened. You simply are by the streams of the water, which is through the Lord. And He strengthens you, and He waters you, and He takes good care of you. He takes such good care of you. And whatever they do, whatever you do, whatever these trees do, they prosper. Now, I'm not saying they prosper when I'm telling you the prosperity gospel where you're doing all good stuff and you're going to a million bucks. Not at all. I'm saying if you work for the Lord, if your ministry is towards the Lord, if your intentions are right and if you are blessed, whatever you will do for the Lord, it will prosper. Whatever you enact, your whole entire being will prosper because the Lord promises this, not I. I can promise you so many things and half of them, more than half of them will not come true because I'm a human being. But the Lord says, if you do these things, whatever you do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. Now let's go to the opposite side. If you do not do these things, let's read about it. You are like verse 4. Let's read verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4 of Psalms. Not so the wicked, you are not blessed. You are significantly not blessed. You are very much lacking in life. You are like chaff. Do you understand what chaff is? I was watching a YouTube video to understand it myself because I wasn't sure. And it was simply a video of some farmers. There's a huge pile of what I thought or what I can say is hay or wheat, not hay, wheat. And they're taking their pitchforks and they're taking a big clump. I'm talking a huge clump. And they're just throwing it in the air, and more than half of it just flew away. That is chaff. If you do not do these things, you are like that. Useless, pointless. You're like a whisper, a mist that just goes away, and no one even cares about it. No one thinks about the chaff. They think about the wheat that brings good food, that does good things, that feeds people, that brings them life because God is the bread of life. Are you the chaff or are you the fruit which is found in the wheat in this example? Let's keep reading verse 4. If you are not doing these things, you are not blessed and, it's going to be verse 5, the wicked, not blessed, will not stand in the judgment. What does that mean? If you're not standing, you're falling. If you are not blessed, You are falling when you are being judged. And falling is a very scary thing. Because there's only one place you fall into. And that is an eternal hell. Very, very scary. Last thing. Sinners in the assembly of the righteous. If you do not do these things then you're not blessed, you are not in the assembly of the righteous. So apply that to yourself simply. Be realistic about it. Are you in the assembly of the righteous? Now, I'm not making a very general statement here, a question. Just because you're here does not mean you sit with the assembly of the righteous. You can sit with very unrighteous people. And you can be in church with very unrighteous people. Whoa, Michael, why'd you say that? No, we're good people. No, no. Us Slavic people, we're really blessed. We, you know, we're Pentecostal Christians and we praise the Lord very well in sync. No. Very, very, very shameful to say, but it is true that we have very, very unrighteous people at church. And that's, that's, that's not a surprise. We shouldn't blanket that. We shouldn't put that away. That is a fact. A lot of you came here today not knowing why you came here. A lot of you came here today not even to listen to anyone that is up here. Not even to sing. Just to hang out with some cool buds or some sisters that just... Work with me or vibe with me. I don't even know what you guys say anymore. But you are here for the wrong reasons. And if you are listening to me right now, examine yourself. Are you in that boat? Are you in that way? Are you here for the wrong reasons? Just think about it. Just think about it. Don't answer me. You don't need to answer your neighbor. You don't need to budge shoulders or elbows and giggle about it. you got to think about yourself. The Lord isn't going to look at your neighbor when you're standing in judgment. The Lord is going to ask, well, Dennis here did so great for you, Mike. You know, might as well well all come here together. We're all family, right? God's not going to say that. God's going to say, Michael, you are a worthless sinner because you did not follow my commandments. You did not delight in the law of the Lord. You were never blessed. Get away from me. I never knew you. Very scary statement to hear from the Lord of this universe. Is he going to say that to you when you die? If you're unsure Examine yourself. I'm going to just touch the topic of Psalm 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to touch that idea. I'll read some of it, but I'm just going to touch it. If you want to go on to it, please. It says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance." I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Praise the Lord. So ask yourself the question. We just read it. But does the Lord instruct your heart day and night? Have you found such a rest in life? I basically ripped everyone. And I ripped myself. This is a, I hope that you have, Examine yourself appropriately. But there is hope. There is such a good hope. We just read about how good it is to be with the Lord. But how do you get there? I understand that this was something that you probably haven't thought or, man, Michael, you just complained the whole entire sermon. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but there's a way out of it. It doesn't have to be this way. Your life does not have to suffer like this. Suffer no more, the Lord says, for you can find rest in me. The Lord can give you rest. The Lord can plant you by these streams of good water that are so refreshing. No worry can overtake you. You don't need to be anxious anymore. You don't need to have this angriness inside of your bitterness. The jealousy does not need to stay. It doesn't have to be this way for you. You don't have to live a life of suffering. The Lord gives you a way out of it. The Lord provided you a way out of it, but you have to do your part. And I'm not saying you have to preach 50 times or sing worship 50 times or give a million dollars to the church What the Lord is saying is, give me your life, so I can break you down and make you whole and new again, and therefore you will be born again, and you will delight in the law of the Lord. You will find rest with me, my son or my daughter. You will be blessed by me, my son and my daughter. You will be planted like a tree in the streams of water. Why don't you do this, my son or my daughter? Why aren't you listening to me? Brothers, are you hearing me? Sisters, why are you living such a suffering life if you don't have to do this anymore it doesn't have to be this way the lord wants you out of it the lord wants you to delight in the law the lord wants you to meditate day and night and be satisfied he has the water ready for you what are you going to do your part are you going to give him the life that he gave you are you going to give it back to him your job in your school are you going to give him your relationships your idea your image your beauty are you going to give him everything if so enjoy the satisfaction of being born again being gifted eternal life you don't have to suffer anymore are you going to accept it are you going to delight in the law of the lord or are you going to be like chaff that's blown away are you going to suffer the suffering that you've been going through Let's be a little more practical here. A practical way to rededicate yourself. Now I understand a lot of us are born-again Christians. We are born-again, but some of us fall, simply fall, and that's natural. Because we are human beings, we choose our own will, and sometimes we decide to make mistakes. Because at the moment we wanted it, at the moment we wanted to sin, and the Lord convicts you, and you want out of it. You see it, you want out of it. You want to rededicate yourself. Fine. Praise the Lord that you have come to such a conclusion. But let's be a little more practical. How how can you go after that? You, You pray to the Lord, and I'm not asking you to come to me tonight. I'm not asking you to come to here and rededicate yourself and repeat the same cycle. You could do that at home. You can pray at home in your closet. You close the door, and you give your life to the Lord for the first time. But let's be more practical in this instance. Read God's word. It sucks to read God's word sometimes. It's hard. Sometimes I don't want to do it because I'm lazy. I don't want to read God's word, but I'm just so tired. I just worked and dealt with so many taxpayers and read all this tax law, I did all this reading, and now I gotta read the word the word of God. Yes, it's a discipline, it's hard. But the more you read the Bible, the more the Lord opens up to your heart. The more the Lord opens up to your heart, the more you want to read the Bible. You just have to start. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to read God's Word. You can't meditate on God's Word day and night if you're not reading the Bible. You can't meditate on it if it's not in your lap and you're reading it. Read the Bible. Just read the Bible. Focus on it. Study it. Think about it. And read the Bible. Very practical. It's not, it's not a science. You open the word and you read the Bible. You go through the entire Bible once, twice. You read Ecclesiastes three, four times. You read Psalms six times. You keep on reading. The Lord will open up more and more goodness for you. And you will delight in the law of the Lord. And you will meditate day and night. Praise the Lord. Pray to God without ceasing. Just pray. It's so easy. It's so easy. Wake up in the morning. God, thank you that I woke up. I'm not late for work. Thank you, God. I have a good breakfast and a good coffee. Thank you, Lord. I have good food to eat. Thank you, God. I have driven to work safe. Thank you, my Lord. On the way to work, thank you, God, that the weather is not terrible. I can drive to work. Thank you, Lord, for my lunch meal at Taco Bell. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. That's prayer. That's practical. You can do it. It's awkward, though. It really is. In the beginning, it's awkward. You're sitting there and you just don't know what to do and you don't want to be weird to God and you don't know if he's listening. Well, break that barrier. Let's be practical. God wants to hear those prayers. God wants to know that you're thankful for the small things in your life and the big things. You pray when you thank the Lord for the lunch and dinner and when you're going to sleep, when you're, when you're waking up, when you're driving somewhere safely, when you almost got in an accident, you thank the Lord that you didn't get in an accident. Praise the Lord and pray to the Lord. Always. And you're going to enjoy it. I promise you. There are some times where I would pray to the Lord and for some reason I say, well, God, I have a joke that I want to say. I just got a little humor. I just wanted to say a joke and I said, and I just laughed. And I just laughed and I enjoyed and I delighted, and I thank the Lord that I have this silly joke that I just thought. And I think, wow, God's probably just looking at me saying, you're just so silly. Just pay attention to the road delight in the lord and the lord will take care of you but you got to do your part you got to discipline yourself to pray to read and it's hard sometimes but you just got to do it sometimes it's forcing but the more you do it the more you enjoy it and the more you delight and the better it is and the more frequent frequent you'll do it and everything will be well praise the lord last thing i wanted to read was matthew chapter 11 verse 28 that's the last one and we'll go to prayer And it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about that. If you've lived a life with the burden of sin, how much easier will it be to have the burden of Christ on you? How much better it's going to be for you eternally to have the Lord as your yoke where you will finally find rest, where you lose all the anxieties. You know, this whole disorder, of anxiety disorder, all that stuff where you take antidepressants and all that stuff, what garbage. You don't need that. The Lord can take care of you. The Lord will give you rest. Why don't you take it then? There's no prescription that can give you what the Lord can give you. So take it. Take all of it. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. I praise God that we're able to have this evening. And let's pray. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's give him thanks. Let's pray to the Lord.